Gay porn for everybody. Hello and welcome to Great Culture, the podcast where three women drink wine, talk about feminism and pop culture. I'm Alex. I'm Kim. And I'm Sam. Hope you enjoy the episode. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Circus of Books, which is a Netflix documentary all about a Jewish couple in LA who ran a porn store for gay pornography for years and how they balance that with their family life and everything else going on at the time. But before we start talking about the show, we have to talk about wine. Yeah, wine! We're back to a, uh, a semi-traditional grape culture setup in that we all have wine and we almost all have the same wine in that we all have a rosé, but we each chose different ones for various reasons. Ooh. So I chose a Band of Roses, which is um, a US rosé, as in it was made in the States. I thought it was going to be made in California because I was like, yeah, then it's linked to the show even more. Um, It's not, it's made in Washington. But it's a vegan rosé. I chose it because Band of Roses had the same sentence structure as Circus of Books. And there's fuck all tasting notes on it. It says, land to hand, vineyard to bottle, Band of Roses, one, two, three, four. And then there's some drumsticks. So it tells you pretty much nothing. The description of this wine uh, on the website where I bought it is a very cool dry rosé, pure, vibrant, fresh, penetrating perfume, giving way oh, to it's perfect. Exactly. lilac, guava, tangerine and passion fruit delivered on a silky palette. This rosé has got the beat. Guava? I've will. never heard that in wine tasting no. notes. So I went to Sainsbury's earlier. I am on a budget and I knew that we wanted to have a rosé. So I have gone for the taste the difference reduced Pinot Grigio blush because it's a subject that one might blush at. So that is why I chose this, the most like kind of loose linking ever. In terms of tasting notes, it's a two on the dry scale, which is quite nice for a rosé. I do like a pale rosé, so I'm pleased about that. This wine is produced at uh, Cavett Winery in Toronto, located in the picturesque Dolomite Alps in the east of Italy. That's not Toronto, that's Trentino. This is failing. This region (laughs) has long, warm summer days and cool nights which are ideal conditions for the production of light aromatic wines, a great match for grilled king prawns or light pasta dishes, neither of which I had for dinner. I had leftover Chinese. <laughs> so that is the wine I am drinking. Well, I have from MS Wave Break White Zinfandel, which is a Californian wine. I had the same thought process as Sam, is that I wanted to get a Californian wine because of the location of the shop. Got a very cool sort of Americana beach um, label with a car and stuff on it and a surfboard. And it just seems really like summery and happy. And that was kind of the vibe that I was going for because I felt like the show itself had a certain lightness to its marketing, even though the, the actual subject matter, not so much, which we'll get onto. This is suitable for vegans. It is medium sweet. Style, fruity, luscious, fresh. Taste, watermelon and strawberry. Food, creamy pasta, spicy foods. A blissfully fresh and summery rosé bursting with succulent fruit flavours. Made in sunny California where the grapes ripen perfectly in the warm sun. This is a bright and modern style of white Zinfandel with a refreshingly Moorish finish. Enjoy well chilled while it's young and fresh. Kim, that is a very pink rosé. That is... And the M&S winemaker is Sue Daniels. There you go. Oh, that's nice. Have we mine had is, Sue on here before? Because I feel like we have. Mine is <laughs> Probably, because I think we were like, that's not a name. for Like, that's so normal. Like, that's someone who works at the corner shop. That's that's a primary school teacher name. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Clink. Mine's actually really nice, really mellow, mine's and not nice. doing that thing that some rosés do it's really, oh, really good oh kim is your super sweet it tastes like watermelon lip balm i don't think i'd want to drink that you know when you're like 18 I'd want a or 16 and you sniff that watermelon lip balm and it's like really really like juicy and it smells amazing and then you taste it and it tastes like shit it is a little bit slush puppy it is also a little bit like the first wine you drink before you really like wine but i don't hate it be interesting to see how you feel after a bottle of it okay Circus of Books, gay porn for everybody. What did you think of it? Like, did you when you watched it? Was it what you expected it to be? Was it, yeah? What were your first impressions? So I actually watched Circus of Books because 
my friend uh, posted a link about it on Facebook, and I thought that looked really interesting. My friend who posted the link is actually a gay porn star. I thought, one, it may kind of give me insight into his world a little bit more, even though I kind of, not I feel like I know the gay porn world well by any means, but I kind of, I, especially I suppose as he identified it as part of his history. Uh, both as a gay man and someone who works in the adult industry as well. My first impressions were that it was so much more human in terms of I've watched many a documentary about porn. Um, I'm like a massive BBC Three addict and a lot of their kind of focus is either kind of drug related or porn or... And like also Louis Theroux, massive Louis Theroux fan, and he focuses a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Whereas this, and I think it's something to do with the fact that it was the daughter who was the the documentary maker. She definitely kind of focuses on her parents as people, not just as their jobs. And so therefore there was a lot more kind of human side. But I was also very surprised to kind of learn and hear that their, or at least the mum's opinion on homosexuality was slightly more conflicted uh, as one might expect owning or like uh, being an ally ally to like gay people um in that kind of shitty time of life yeah it was there was a lot more conflict in that than I realized as a documentary I thoroughly enjoyed it I think it's an important moment in gay history. This this kind of video store obviously meant a lot to a lot of people. And I enjoyed hearing those stories about those people. Kim, what did you think about Circus of Books? I really enjoyed it. It was not what I was expecting. When I first watched the trailer a while ago now, it seemed so much more salacious. And I was almost put off watching it because I was I get a bit annoyed with documentaries that make things that should be that shouldn't be taboo salacious like it's the same it's it's a similar thing to how i felt about tiger king where i was like it feels like the way that the trailer was spun was like it was all about the drama when actually like while i while i appreciate that what they did was trailblazing it wasn't it's not saucy it's not titillating it, it's not supposed to be titillating but the way that there are no the, titties the trailer was spun true but the way that the trailer was spun was like that saucy naughty thing um so when i watched it like when when you guys said when we said that we were going to watch it i was a bit like oh not really looking forward to it i was just kind of like i was expecting it to be a lot of sort of exploitative stuff i didn't realize that the documentary filmmaker was the child of the um the people who ran the store so i think that that made a big difference i think if i'd known that i wouldn't have felt that way but i did so when i watched it i was actually really i was really struck by the human aspect of it and I was more interested in it because I was more interested in how the family made that decision and the family themselves were very you know like a a really interesting group of people and they're wrestling with you know their religion and their their personal life and their health and and making money and how they very much viewed everything like as a business and I think I find it really interesting when people show their business side and are very honest about the fact that they're like yeah no this was a way to make money like I I do find that quite interesting I also I don't know I I found it quite heartwarming because even though I felt like Alex that I I was I thought it was really interesting to see the mother's um conflict around sexuality they still spoke about it then and spoke about it looking back and spoke about it in the historical clips they were doing something very important and they were very they were they were definitely being advocates in in a way and it was you know she sort of said oh it's different when it hits your front door but then I re-examined myself and it was really heartwarming and inspiring to watch people do that kind of work in the face of adversity for whatever motive it originally started out as like it it wasn't solely monetary they were doing a kind of work for good reasons and they were advocating for people for good reasons and then they were doing the work for themselves to re-examine their own held beliefs and how they needed to rectify them and change them for their own family like they were examining their own bias and prejudice and I I felt that was brilliant so basically 
I felt the whole thing was really heartwarming. And I know we'll go into like bits and bobs of the details, but I felt the whole thing was quite heartwarming in a way that I really was not expecting either from the trailer or the premise without knowing that the filmmaker was their daughter. So I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised, not unlike this rosé. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful link. <laughs> I'm really good at Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I definitely agree, Kim, that it was not, it wasn't what I expected because I did expect, I think you used the word salacious, I was expecting it to be a lot more sensationalist and a, more about the porn. And in a way, porn, it wasn't, it was just kind of obviously alluded to it, but it, it was not really part of the story almost. And I was also expecting to see a lot more about, though, I mean, there was an element of this, but I, the way that it was pitched, in my mind was that it was going to be more about the importance of the store as a part of the gay community and its impact on on members of the gay community and um more about that and although obviously that was part of it it didn't i thought it had become this like massive cultural hub and it was actually quite localized it was quite a local Mm -hmm. thing um which is not what i was expecting not saying that that's less important. It was just the way it was talked about was, was slightly different than I was yeah. expecting. Also, I came into it. The reason I heard about it was one of the former employees is Alaska Thunderfuck, who won RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 2 and is quite a well-known alumnus of RuPaul's Drag Race because I saw her posting about it on social media and then was like, oh, what's the show? So that was kind of my gateway. So I was expecting it to be... I was expecting gateway. a bit more Alaska, to be honest. <laughs> Expecting it to be like bigger and more in your face. Yeah, exactly. A bit more drag, like gay porn. See, I um, <laughs> the way that I first like watched the trailer was literally because it had books in the title, and I was like, oh, it's a it's a thing about a book. Oh no! <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, Catalogue of dick. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's really interesting what you said about it being so much like such a smaller nucleus like a microcosm of, of yeah culture but i really like that because i think that's part of the reason why i wasn't i had that moment of not being sure where it was because i, I think of california and la as quite like big and flashy anyway i don't think of it as having that that sense of smaller communities within the areas in the way that i do think about that with new york because i feel like each borough and each neighborhood is very has a real like identity the fact that it was such a, a little community and it seemed like they could be like anywhere they could have been in small town america and it just seemed like everyone knew them and they knew everyone and they knew that they knew their regulars and stuff I, I it made it so much more accessible and so interesting and i love that kind of story i love like the small stories because i think that it takes you know a thousand small stories to make change and it's so. it, it you know it makes it makes it more human of course it does and I, I think there's something in the fact the choice to focus on the family that runs it because as much as we didn't see you know we're talking about we didn't see much about the community aspect of the gay men that came in you definitely got a sense from the interviews with them that they did see it as a family hub so just to focus on that family dynamic also gave the emotions and vibe of what the gay men in the community saw this place as as well which was all about well, this family. Is, this is a point that I sort of I jotted down when I was making the notes on this is what my question is going to be like how do you feel that these family themes are communicated throughout the whole thing because like obviously the LGBTQ community often they refer to themselves like they refer to people in that community as being part of their family um a lot of people who have uh, suffered discrimination from their own biological families then find that kind of connection and closeness within the community so i thought it was really interesting to see those two things played out side by side almost one thing that i did find interesting this documentary they referenced a riot at a place called the black cat had either of you heard of that before Yes, but only recently, and only because my favourite murder did a thing on the stone wall. And I think I'd heard of it once before. Again, there's um, there was a pub in the town that I went to uni called the Stonewall Inn. Yeah, so that came up in like it, the whole the Stonewall thing came up in conversation like in when we were talking about it in two thousand and nine as middle eight like uh, as middle class suburban white kids who knew shit all about shit all. Um, but I remember like going down a rabbit hole about Wikipedia then, as you are wont to do at three o'clock in the morning at university. 
I don't like using the word riot. Isn't there a better word for it? Like, is hasn't it got a better uh, name now? Uprising or revolution? Protest? Or like yeah, uh, protest? Yeah, riot. Riot implies criminality where yeah. they weren't. Yeah. They shouldn't have ever been criminals. Yes. But yeah, like I say, I, I had, I hadn't heard of the Black Cat uprising in the same way that I had heard of the Stonewall uprising as this kind of like white noise backdrop to revolution and change and cultural history like in the same way that i think there's certain tv shows or there's certain like figures like martin luther king for example who you're like yeah i i know that person but then there are a hundred other people that did equal amounts of incredible work that we don't know off the drop of the hat like it feels like stonewall was like the poster boy as it were yeah i mean every movement has these moments or people who capture the imagination and capture public interest but it doesn't mean that any of the other moments are any less relevant or important yeah so black cat uprising which was a a fight back against the police who were trying to shut down a a gay bar similar kind of situation to stonewall but it happened two years earlier and Mm -hmm. this documentary was originally meant to be about that so when the filmmaker rachel mason started making it that's what she that's the story she wanted to tell but it was the family stuff and the family angle it's interesting though that that only gets a very small footnote and then she decided that the bigger interest angle was was the family stuff but then i suppose it comes down to the you know what an audience connects with which is being real and her connection to her family and the fact that very much and you see it through these people like the visitors of the store and Sam you talk about like finding their non-biological family they saw that in this couple so actually the story was this couple Mm. I well in terms of it's complete they're complete two completely different documentaries of course they Mm. are and so it's interesting that she switched but I think that she obviously to remain true to herself on and the kind of drive was to tell the real true story about her parents and sometimes you just like that's what you follow it's interesting like it's interesting to compare that pivot of topic to the tiger king what we talked about in the tiger king episode with that pivot of topic where we talked about how they'd gone there to do a documentary about illegal illegal selling of exotic pets and big cats and then pivoted to the more lucrative the more sensational story of the tiger king i don't know if the uh, listeners heard my eye roll there but it was there <laughs> but this is kind of the almost the opposite which is that the bigger more sellable story would be the black cat uprising i would have thought like especially right now obviously i know that they didn't know that when they were making the documentary but especially if you consider the movements that have been happening i would have thought the more sellable documentary to a wider array of people not necessarily netflix but whoever would have been would have been the black cat thing but she recognized that she was in a unique position to tell this other story that no one else was going to tell like i think that's the thing like and it's probably why i like this more than i like tiger king amongst other reasons on that note do you think that the documentary that we ended up with do you think it was helped or hindered by the fact that she was their daughter so obviously she had the insight growing up but do you think it colored the story in any way do you think it what what do you reckon i think part of it were helped and parts of it were hindered like i think the emotion behind a lot of the the very personal stuff and the relationship between the family so like the 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 stuff about their son and also her relationship and how they didn't know about the the store and what the store meant to them as a family and as a couple and and the the difference of their sort of religion and personal values versus the store i think i don't think would have been handled in quite the same way and with quite the level of nuance or if all would have got as deep without it being her because I think that it would have been the kind of thing that you almost you need to spend some time with in order to get to that and not all documentary makers are going to do that even though a good documentary maker presumably should but I don't think all of them will on the other hand I did find it distracting at times where banality of their family life and the way that they spoke to each other kind of interrupted important moments and to be specific there was a moment where she the documentary maker was speaking to her mother the shop owner 
and were saying like, can you just hold on for a minute whilst I put this camera on you? You can't even just, why do you always have to just walk away and all this sort of stuff? Like it was very much like the way that you might talk to your mum because you're getting annoyed because you've lived with this stuff for 30, 40 years. But I didn't think it had a place in that documentary. I, I felt like it diminished both the documentary maker and the subject, in my opinion. It was it was a, a step too far. It felt almost reality TV-ish. Yeah, fair. And I, I totally get that. I think for me, it gave more because you got to see their real true self completely. And I think she chose to keep those moments in because it gave them a completely human side. Like there's one thing like interviewing someone on a sofa and even if they are your daughter or even if they are someone you know really well, you're going to answer, if someone's directly asking you a question and there's a camera in your face, you're going to think carefully about the way you answer a question, much like we do on podcasts. Like, you know, we like to think that we're giving true responses, but we are kind of like censoring ourselves slightly because we're putting our voices out there. And whereas those moments that they are not, like not assuming that it's going to be put out there because it's mundane. I think that actually gave a true sense of who these people are. So for me, yes, maybe it didn't add to the narrative, but I'm personally driven by learning about people. And so for me, that kind of added Mm. to that. I think whether it hinders or doesn't uh, her being the daughter is hard to answer because any director is going to have a different spin or take regardless of if you're close to a family or not. I think for me, this documentary would obviously wouldn't be the same if it wasn't the daughter or was a different director completely. At the moment, I really appreciate that it's a family member that knows them really well, like Kim says, because she doesn't have to spend all the time getting to know them. She can skip past that and get to the truth heart of the story and heart of who they are. I think it's a I think it's one that, that can be argued from either side i personally found it a bit distracting um not necessarily for the same reasons as, as you kim not necessarily in the same way but i felt like there were moments that would and like I, you could argue that this is because it's creating a story about them as people and everything i know but there were moments that felt a bit indulgent like for example the uh the t- point where she's so rachel mason is the filmmaker uh, her parents barry and karen are the people that own the store rachel was telling the story of, of how she found out what her parents actually did because obviously when they were kids the parents were very they, they, you don't really tell your kids that you run a pawn shop and you make your own run a company that makes gay porn but she was telling the story about how she found out which is basically that she said the name of the store that her parents owned and that one of her friends at school basically laughed and told her what it actually was and that whole episode could have been told that could have been a to camera 30 second story but she got the friend that told her on who never came back again was only there to tell that story like it, it became a feature in itself it seemed like her relationship with her mum was a bit strained. Not not all the time, but there was there was some tension, definitely, like you said, about the whole the way they spoke to each other. It seems like there was tension there and it seemed at times like the way she showed her mother, certainly in the in the first few in the first bit of the documentary, wasn't as objective as perhaps mm. someone else would have been. I'm not saying that all, if you make a completely objective documentary, then obviously it's going to be really fucking boring but it felt there were times when I was like oh is she just working out her issues with her mother in this is this what's happening yeah yeah that's pretty I felt, true yeah. that's pretty fair yeah I, I felt that like when you said self-indulgent that's that's actually what I thought of I think that's what I mean by the reality tv thing like taking it too far it crosses the line between you're making a documentary about these people and you're using a documentary to work out your issues with these people which if that's the premise of the documentary then that's great but that wasn't the premise of the documentary i can't say i'm surprised that a documentary filmmaker who is making a documentary about their own family is self-indulgent we'll bring some of their own like yeah and we'll bring some it's of their part own issues of the territory. It because it's nature of it yeah yeah and and it, it's not necessarily bad like clearly for some people it's appealing like i think you and i maybe are just a little bit more like Ooh, stay jaded. <laughs> Can you keep your issues away from me? Maybe it's the difference between the introverts and the extroverts. I'm dealing with my issues. I... Could you keep yours over there? <laughs> I don't know if I agree that automatically you would be self-indulgent making a documentary about your family. Because if anything... No, but it would be hard to be objective. That's the thing. It would be hard to... Yes. Okay, fair. Yeah. 
like that yeah no that's that's true so obviously yeah I I think Rachel's relationship with her family and particularly with her mother definitely had an impact on the way that this story was told what do you think of the fact that like what did you think of Karen what did you think of her mother do you think that Karen as the central figure because she very much was the central figure in the story do you think that was the right decision do you think talk to me about Karen I I was so baffled by Karen like on the one hand I really liked her and I I loved it sounds so trite like it sounds so stupid but like I loved that she was the central character because I loved that she had the most to to contend with with that shop. Like I feel like for her and her background and also her family and and the time that she you know the the, the beliefs that she held and what she was trying to do with her family and her relationship with her children and her relationship with her husband and her general personality the way that it came across I feel like she had the most to contend with doing what she did considering that you know neither of the people doing it were gay men fighting you know like fighting from that angle like I, th- I thought that that was a really uh, unique position I I also enjoyed but also found it weird how much she did not want to engage with it like she didn't want to engage with the ins and outs of <laughs> she what she was selling you know when she said like i um i see i can see this wall without really this wall of sex toys without really seeing it and no she was that anime oh yeah. yeah like she can look at this wall without really looking at it and know that it will be a good seller like that was so interesting that she and she says well i don't like to look at it and i obviously like identified with that to a degree because i'm like i'm fine people do what they want to do it doesn't mean that i have to enjoy it like go forth i support your right to butt stuff but i don't want to be involved um <laughs> i'm gonna get that on a <laughs> but you know like we've you know we've talked about the fact that i'm i'm more prudish than some but that doesn't negate the fact that i believe in in sexual freedom but <laughs> i also thought that it was so strange because it was also like she didn't really want to engage with the documentary like it wasn't just that she didn't want to engage with what she was doing, but she, I, I felt a lot of the time she just didn't see the point of the documentary and she didn't want to engage with it and she didn't want to be seen as doing something special or revolutionary or important in the way that I actually think her husband did. Like I think he really got what he was doing and he got why he was doing it and he talked about you know like the people that he knew during the uh, AIDS epidemic and why they were doing things. And I thought that like, it was, an, seemed almost it was have- a weird choice to focus on just on Karen in that, in those moments when the, the difference between the two of them was palpable. Like it, 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 it felt like it was almost sidelining some of the issues. I think she, it, to me, when she spoke, it almost, or when she talked about what she was doing and she was like, Oh, I don't know why you're making this documentary. No one's going to watch it or it's not important. Or, like that kind of, that kind of story it almost seemed like she felt like she like like imposter syndrome like she felt that she shouldn't be the one talking about these issues she like mm. she didn't feel like it was her play that's what I got from it she's like well I'm not I'm not the person that should be talking about this yeah and I totally agree with that and I think though it's because she's then later shown although obviously within the whole documentary she's this person because the end point is basically who she is like it's not over the years of course she is shown to be working on it to be working on her the fact that she has these preconceptions because of her religious views because she also then works in an industry and has a son who is openly gay and she's like I don't want to be an awful restrictedly viewed person I want to work on it and be open. So I think there very much is an imposter syndrome when you are still learning. Mm. Like, I think I think we're all guilty of it. I think when we're all still learning about something, we don't want to be interviewed because we're like, but but we won't, we won't say what the best it thing wrong? it could possibly be. Yeah, I don't want to get it wrong. Like, actually, my teachers and beyond are going to say something far better and more insightful than I ever would. So I think that's why she's being the way she is. Mm, um, that's an interesting point. So yeah, definitely. I'm glad it came from her point of view because I kind of related to that imposter syndrome in many aspects of my life. Surely it's so much more interesting to 
to discuss and follow a person that's still trying to work on who they are and their identity. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, replenish our glasses, maybe go for a wee, and then we'll be back after the break to talk some more about Circus Book. So we're back from our break, and we are about two thirds of a ball in, I think, each at least. How are we <laughs> finding our wines? Uh, for context, Sam and Alex just held up their empty bottles of wine at me. So I'm <laughs> bottle in, and they are empty bottles in. How it's really nice finding our wines. Um, I'm really enjoying the band of roses. Band of roses? Yeah, that's the one. Um, already forgotten, so it's going really well. But no, it's really, <laughs> it's not one of those ones that gets worse the more you drink it, it gets better. And also that's considering it's been sat in 30 degree heat in my bedroom without being refrigerated for the last hour. So it's holding up pretty well. Nice. What about you, Alex? How's your uh, blush going? My blush? Um, I mean, I feel very blushed because it's so fucking hot. Um, and because I'm drinking wine, which usually gives me a pink tinge to my cheeks. Um, I have a tiny, tiny bit left of this bottle of wine. Um, but yes, usually I have to drink rosé, well, only light coloured rosés because I'm not a fan of the kind of watermelon-esque rosé that Kim is drinking. Usually I have to drink these kind of rosés like so chilled that it's like, it's so refreshing. It's a summer drink. I am sat by the window. It is very warm. And yet this rosé is still quite refreshing, even though it is room temperature. So yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. I spent three times what you spent and you've just given the same notes. I feel fucking ripped off. <laughs> Kim, how's yours? It's good. When they say, enjoy well chilled, they are not well fucking... Chilled. Because unlike Sam's wine, my wine is significantly less nice after being sat at room temperature for an hour to an hour and a half. It's still surprisingly good, considering it's medium sweet wine that tastes like watermelon lip balm. But it's also just like gross it's, no it's not gross it's not gross it's just there's bad decisions in the summertime and then there is bad decisions in the middle of the day on a beach when you have no other options in the summertime <laughs> <laughs> have you done like it's like it's it's really good when it's cold when it's cold it's lovely the less tasty it gets but yeah I, I still think that for a medium sweet wine for £7 from M&S, it's surprisingly good. But heed the advice, Sever, well chilled. How do we feel like our wines pair with our topic? Um, I think mine is... It's, it's difficult to know because I'm still not sure whether I enjoyed Circus of Books or not. And I am enjoying this wine. Interesting. Alex? I don't know because I did enjoy Circus, Circus of Books. And I do enjoy this wine, but I don't necessarily, I don't know if they complement each other in terms of the same vibe, if you know what I mean. The fact that I chose it for the title, which was Blush, I didn't blush at the documentary. So at the moment, no, it doesn't mm. pair. Mine surprisingly does pair. Like, you know, I talked about Watermelon. how it's the wine surprised me. The the documentary surprised me. It's sweeter than I thought it was going to be because I didn't look at the label. The The documentary was sweeter than I thought it was going to be because I didn't really look it up other than the trailer. I think it's it's working for me. I don't know if it's just that I'm in a particularly, like, all things considered good mood today. I seem to be positive, which is unusual. This wine is enhancing a good mood and I felt not sad when I watched Circus of Books. So so therefore, so far, so good. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so on the subject of blushing or not blushing when it comes mm. to Circus of Books, do you think it should have talked more about the porn industry and the issues within the porn industry because there are money? Because it, it talks about censorship and it talks about the battle against censorship, particularly during the Reagan administration. There was a, a big move towards the um, basically anything of a sordid nature was kind of uh, used as an easy battleground um, to win votes. But they don't really go into any details about 
the ethics of porn, uh, paying for your porn, the circumstances with which a lot of porn is produced. Do you think that's something that had a place in this documentary and should have had a place, or do you think it was not right? I personally feel that it didn't have a place in this documentary because it wasn't what it was about. I think much like anything, if you choose a subject matter, there are going to be massive strands in which you might focus on as a director. So her strand that she focused on was maybe a few things, but it was massively about family. And I think it was more about the human element of the people uh, consuming it and consuming the porn rather than the people that are in the porn industry. I disagree. I think that, like, I think that definitely I think that there was a place for them to talk about the ethics of the porn industry. And I think that, you know, they're struggling with the ethics of running this this porn shop. And they're also struggling with the ethics of the fact that they, they themselves, you know, produced pornography. And I think that they didn't examine that in the way that maybe they should have. And that in a way that maybe their their moral conflict actually probably led them to examine it in their own lives. I don't think that the documentary went deep enough on those topics, on various topics, partially because of the fact that the narrative was so focused on the family. Also, though, I think it's partially that I feel like the documentary was too short. Like, the documentary is, what, an hour and a half? Yeah. Uh, and I think that this story, this family and this this store and the issues that they combated i think that this should have been a six-part documentary and they could have done an episode you know the introductory episode they could have done an episode where the focus was how the family dealt with being part of black cat uprising being you know their relationship with the revolution revolutions they could have been had an episode entirely about their legal battle about censorship they could have had an, an entire thing about you know dealing with the family and the religious aspects instead i feel like they crammed too much into an hour and a half i feel like the documentary had a lot more to say and explore even the way like separate from the lgbtq aspect of the rest of what i envisage this documentary could have been there could have been a whole chapter about you know how the welfare state essentially let them down that led them to this point like as much as i don't want to portray lgbtq pornography and and entering into that sphere is like a last resort for them it very much was like partially as a result of how the world let them down and i think that that's also important to talk about like i i think this could have been a much richer and deeper documentary while still maintaining that family narrative because it's very much still a family story and it's still being told in the same way and even with even more background footage with even more story but also tackling on a surface level more deeply the issues like ethics in the pornography industry, the black cat uprising, gay rights, the HIV HIV crisis. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, you know, like, I think that, honestly, if I could press rewind, like, on it, I would, and I would make them do that. Like, if they could have known that I think people would have watched a six-part documentary series on that, then I think that they would have done it. And it bugs me, not for this to be, you know, another example of how much Kim hates the Tiger King, but um, it bugs me that the Tiger King is a seven, eight part documentary and this is like an hour and a half. In case anyone needs a refresher on that, the episode is on all our pages. <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this suffered from the length that it was because it tried to do it tried to do too much and didn't do enough. I wanted the queer aspect of it to be a bigger focus and obviously there was a lot dedicated to Josh coming out, Josh being Karen and Barry's son. Um, and the battle that Karen had around accepting that. And also there were various people from people who worked there, customers, other LGBTQ activists, talking about Circus of Books and its the impact of the store on their lives and stuff. But I felt like for gay people, it didn't do them or it justice in terms of of talking about things the way that it could have talked about them. For me, it was raw storytelling 
in its truest form and yes I can pick holes in that and say why didn't they go into this and why didn't they go into that but I just think it's it's true to the voice that they wanted to put across. What my issue is with that and why I wanted it to go into more detail about things is that ultimately the marketing around Circus of Books, the documentary, and the backbone of Circus of Books, the store, is the LGBTQ community. And what the documentary does is centre a straight ostensibly white couple and I think that that is borderline exploitative of that community and I think that if you are going to use that community as a backdrop you should take care to centre the issues that matter to the community and I don't think that the documentary fully does that justice I think it does a lot of work for it you know within within the realms of the family narrative and we've talked about Josh and I think that like I think that's part of that but I believe that they could have done more and I believe that the way that the marketing presented this is what makes it feel lackluster to me I appreciated the story that we were told I wish there had been more of the story that was untold, which is the story that historically is untold. I wanted more gay. Not that not that I want to pull the queer card, but I'm going to pull the queer card, which is, is the only person on this podcast that doesn't identify as heterosexual. I wanted... I, I didn't want a family story. I wanted a story about the, the gay community and I feel like it wasn't delivered. I, d- I don't feel like what was promised in the trailer was delivered in the thing. And that's not saying that it wasn't important because it was important and it was insightful and it was that's not to diminish any of the storytelling itself. It's just not what I wanted from this and it's not what I anticipated. So in the interest of our happy endings... <laughs> what in the documentary what was it about the documentary that you enjoyed most what did was there a quote was there a moment was it um a method of the storytelling what was your favorite thing about it I have two favorite <laughs> or were there none <laughs> I have a silly thing and I have an overall thing okay silly specific moment that was my favorite was the moment where she was holding up the stack of dvds to someone else that worked with her being like do they look white to you do they look Caucasian to you and she was looking she was looking specifically for a DVD that was Caucasian men without penetration and she was like she held it up she was like well this looks like it might do they look white to you like that just made me laugh out loud which I just really enjoyed as a wider more like thoughtful reason why I like this documentary I think that there was a lot of heart in it and I think that we've talked about it already but the the real sense of the the small community that this bookshop had like I always find it heartwarming when I watch documentary and people from way back when are willing to come back on and talk about how great they thought so and so was and this felt like that I felt a connection to a moment in time and people and of all of those people I felt like I felt least connection to Karen but everyone who appeared on the documentary had clear memories and good things to say and was particularly well lit and just like there was a lot of you know there was a lot of heart to that I mean but genuinely they were all really well lit but there was a lot of heart to it and I I felt like if the execution wasn't perfect the the impetus behind it was pure as wholesome as a documentary about porn could be yeah like good phrase yeah pretty much Alex how about you I just yeah, I think um, humanity and realness, truthfulness, family, everything that we've kind of had to reflect on at the moment, especially in lockdown, is hard to capture. Mm. And I think she captured it. And I think it's a beautiful piece of storytelling that isn't necessarily just about the things that we spoke about. It's just, it means something different to each and every one of us. For me, there are two points, which I think actually link with what you were just saying. One of them definitely does, um, Alex, what you were just saying. So I noted down a couple of quotes when I was watching it. And one of them was from Karen, um, who obviously had difficulty reconciling her faith to her son's sexuality, despite what the 
what the store does and what the store is. And she said, um, I needed to rethink my theology in order to be okay with it. And I thought that was really, really, like that really stuck out to me because she didn't say she needed to rethink her faith. She didn't say she re- needed to discard anything like about herself. It was the use of the word theology, I think, when I was like, oh, she's looking at the way things are interpreted mm-hmm. rather than the indoctrination of these lessons. And I thought that was really good because she's she recognised that the problem wasn't her faith. It was the way that her faith was communicated to her through other channels. And I yeah. thought that was great. And, and also the I fact that she was that able as well to do it that. Was the fact that she was able to recognise that and go, maybe I need to interpret this differently and we're still able to balance the two things because when you do have faith and when you I'm not I'm not religious obviously (laughs) obviously look at me heathen (laughs) um (laughs) but the idea that there's something that is so deeply held and has been a part of you for so long you don't want to lose that for someone you love but you don't want to lose someone you love for something mm-hmm. like it I, I just thought it was yeah, a it's, really it's nice powerful expression yeah. yeah I love that but also as a religious person like I found that very comforting and I found that very powerful because I've often said that you do not need to be you do not need to give up your faith to recognize equality and um that doctrine is not always the way and you know I've to you guys personally I've argued the case for acceptance and belief and I thought it was powerful to watch that in a documentary where someone wrestles with what their faith has taught them what their religion has taught them what their theology has taught them but does not lose their faith in God whilst questioning the way that God's teachings are taught it's like we're going to come back to this as well because we're going to have an episode about Queer Eye in the future. But there's an episode of the later season of Queer Eye yeah. where uh, with, that features um, a a uh, pastor, pastor, pastor. How do you say? Pastor. I say. I, yeah, say I, know what you mean. <laughs> I say pastor to which avoid sounding like pastor. Which way is the man of God? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, in which he basically is talking about the different ways that if you interpret the Bible from the original Greek that words have a different meaning and it's that kind of thing of um recognizing that a religious text is open to interpretation just by its very nature so i thought that was really really powerful and another quote that really stood out to me was it was right near the very end they were talking about the work that karen and barry have done with p flag which is parents and friends of lesbian and gays i'm assuming it's just plural lesbians and gays because then there's no qualifier to the end of that acronym and i can't remember what it is it's basically people people who know and love queer people is is mm-hmm. this organization um and she said I, i'm fairly sure it's karen i haven't written down who said it but i think in my head it, i remember karen saying it there are a lot of gender variations and that's okay. And it was just after the narrative of the documentary and her struggle, it was just really, really nice Lovely. to hear that. I also thought that that ending with them at that, you know, like parents of parade. Oh no, it was would, pride, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, but it was like parents of like float or something. I don't know. But it was, when I when I watched that bit of the documentary, I was, I was really moved. Like you say, Sam, like to go through that, documentary and listen to Karen's struggle and to come out from the end of it with acceptance was a beautiful thing and that they were promoting that acceptance was a really beautiful thing and she even said like I wish I'd I think the last thing that maybe she says in the documentary is like I wish I'd been here 30 years ago or something along those lines said I wish my parents were here yeah that was it that was it and I just thought that that was so wonderful just wonderful I thought there was a wonderful sentiment and a wonderful way to end the documentary so that brings us to the end of our discussion about circus of books this week but before we go we have stuff to rate so we have the documentary which again if if you've listened and can't remember it's circus of books and we also have our various wines to rate as well so let's start with the common denominator which is circus of books what would you guys give it out of five grapes i'm gonna give it a four out of five because I really feel in terms of the voice that they were giving the documentary I think that was really true and honest and I enjoyed it so I'm gonna give it a four and a half no four did I oh, say that oh you said four originally. you said four but you can okay. back it up if you like <laughs> no I'm gonna give it a four because I also like understand that it could go further 
but at the same time, I don't think it should in this context. I'm going to give it a three for the reasons that I've already explained. Like, I feel like it could have done more and I feel like it could have been better. But at the same time, like, I clearly really enjoyed it. Like, I, I don't want it to come across on this episode that I didn't because I I did enjoy it. I thought it was heartwarming. I thought it was powerful. I thought it was moving. I just felt like it could have done more. And three is usually my good would, would recommend but could do better. And that's how I feel about it. Like Middle ground. Bang. Yeah, yeah. Slap bang. Oop. So I'm going to split the difference and go 3.5 because I do think that in terms of telling a family story, an unusual family story, because it is unusual, not many people's parents own a pornography emporium i think it did a really good job and i think like we've discussed the human the humanity um and the human interest side was great but i think it could have done more and i do think that there was a slight element of bias in some of the storytelling so 3.5 and what about our wines so kim let's go to you first with your watermelon business wait wait. (laughs) watermelon the angry um, pink bastard. <laughs> the angry pink. Oh, fruity, luscious, and fresh. Oh, so gross. You know what? I have two ratings for this. I oh, have... only need one. <laughs> no, but I have two. And gross. I have two. No, I have two. It's a three point five when it's well chilled. It's like a two when it's not. It's yeah. like one point five. If you buy it off the shelf and then drink it in the park. Yeah. Two. Soon as it gets above cold, it's gash. <laughs> I would hope your gash is above cold. (laughs) Oh, that description was hilarious. So uh, 3.5 when chilled, 2.5 when not. It was a two a minute ago. You you guys just keep adding a 0.5 to stuff. Yeah, because we're drunk. 3.5 when chilled, 2 when not. Alex, how about your... um, My blush. It's just Pinot Grigio blush. Your blush. It's fine. It was very tasty. I added ice. It stayed chilled. I'll give it a 3.5. Full stop. Cool. And my uh, band of roses, Rosé. This is honestly one of the best Rosés I've had in a long time. Um, Nice. I was heartily impressed. I've had, when I've drunk wine recently, it's felt like a chore. Like I'm like, oh, I'm just drinking this because I want to get drunk, not because I'm enjoying it. Whereas this actually, I did enjoy. So I'm going to give it a, I'm giving it a five. Wow. (gasps) Bye for the Band of Roses. Loved it. So thanks for listening to Grape Culture this week. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Grape Culture Pod. We're on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. You can also go over to our website, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. If you've enjoyed the show and you are listening on an Apple device, please don't forget to give us a rating and maybe leave us a review because we're needy bitches and we love to know what you think. And finally, don't forget to come back in two weeks' time when we will have a brand new episode for you and it's going to be a really good one, so do come. So thanks again from all of us for listening and we will see you next time. Bye! Bye! Bye!